Jen, you know what's funny about that song is that's one of my all-time favorite songs. I remember back in the day when Heritage would have a wedding and they'd need somebody to come in and clean the church the night before Sunday morning. They needed the backup guy, so I was the backup janitor scrubbing toilets at 12.30 at night and whatever it took. And I remember just walking around the church by myself singing that to the Lord. You know, I'm going to give you some of the best advice anybody on this planet could give you. That if there are two things you could do with your life, it would be this. That you would follow Jesus and fall in love with Jesus. If you do those two things, and not one without the other, but man, you do both. Because we're pretty good at doing the follow Jesus mostly. We'll show up to church, we'll do the right things, but do you love Jesus? In the depth of your soul, can you honestly say, I'm crazy about Jesus and who he is? Because I got to tell you, I'm in love with Jesus. I'm crazy about him. I am so sold out for Jesus that I spend everything I've got to get people to Jesus. That's how much I love Jesus. We got to follow Jesus. We got to fall in love with Jesus and not one without the other. Amen. And you know those times in the church at midnight and you walk around and you're scrubbing toilets and you just sing a song to him and you remind him hey Jesus this is you and me right now I love you I love you you know how much that means to his heart when we enter into that kind of relationship man come on that's what I'm talking about I got to tell you guys a little secret I just got back from Alabama We were doing a revival event down there, and I've got to ask a favor of you because they believe down there where they're rowdy in the South that us Minnesotans are stoic. So far, you have proven them right. But I'm going to give you chances to do something to prove them wrong. It's like the thing when people tell you, hey, when you're happy, notify your face, man, because ain't nobody else can tell. So today... We're going to exercise the fact that we love Jesus by saying a few simple things. It helps me a lot, especially when we say, preach it, brother. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to hear those words. Hallelujah. Preach it, brother. So when I go back to Alabama, I can say, y'all were wrong, baby. Us Minnesotans, man, we love Jesus and we notify our face when we love Jesus. It's true. Man, it was a good time. I'm not kidding you. I was down there with some, with some other ministers, and, and we, we were preaching. And at the end of every night, we together prayed for the entire crowd. We were preaching in the Civic Center. Man, it was revival. I looked over, and this minister over here, his name's Doug Stan. He was praying for people. And I looked over to my right, and as he was praying for them, they were getting slain in the spirit and falling over. He didn't even have to push them. And he, they were just falling over. Then I look over to my left, and my, my new friend Antonio from Canada was over there doing his thing and, and just really giving people Jesus. And, and then here come people, and I'm prophesying. Man, it was awesome. I got to tell you, man, it's coming back to Brainerd. I'm infomercial right now. Here we go. You see, I am not here to ask for money. Because, you know, the thing, my wife is actually not here because she's preaching at a church in Aiken. Lord, bless her right now. She has all four kids. Amen. (laughs) She's a strong woman, let me tell you what. And 
you know what? I've got to tell you why I'm so excited about this. You know, we don't take this money to pay our house payment. We don't take this money to, to further Dean and Cassie Ministries. You know what we do with the money when we get paid to preach? We put it into this. And this is all about getting people to Jesus. You know, there's actually a group of kids from Minneapolis. There's 24 of them, teenagers. I am so excited about this. I'm not even kidding you. They have gone through this ministry school. It's not a seminary, cemetery. They went through this, this Bible school down there, and they, they started seeing the Lord performing miracles. They started seeing God actually heal people. They started seeing God moving when they would pray. Did you know that God is alive and he listens when we pray? And our prayer life would actually change if we prayed as if he is listening. Because he is. If you feel like I'm a little fired up today, it's because I am. The reason is, is because time is short, man. And these, we got to get excited about Jesus. Because when he comes back, he's going to see me excited. He's going to see me working hard, too. You see, these kids, they started to see God answer their prayers, and they started seeing all these miracles. The pastor of that church, it's over 800 people, was so excited about this tent revival right here that he's sending all of those kids up. They're treating this like a missions trip. They're actually raising support to come to this event to pray for everybody every night. You know what God is going to do through those kids? I am very excited to see what God chooses to do through the mouth of babes, man. You know, he can use you regardless of how old you are. And these kids' faith is through the roof. So what I'm asking you is two things. Number one, there's some flyers right on that rail on the way out. You can't miss them. Grab some. Get them to everyone you know because we will pray for everybody every night. Jesus is going to touch everybody Every night, I'm not blowing smoke up your butt. I'm telling you the honest to goodness truth. Jesus will reach every single person that walks through the doors of that tent. Because some people come doing this, prove it to me. And some people come doing this, I need a miracle. Either way, what Jesus is going to do are the things that only Jesus can do. And we're going to worship him. We're going to believe for this. And you're going to watch miracles happen. You know, last year, there was a guy that showed up with thick glasses he could barely see. And we prayed for his eyes. And we said, well, let's test it. Take your glasses off. And he took them off. And he literally started jumping up and down from pure excitement because he said, I can see. Did you know that God moves today? Hallelujah. Amen. Preach it, brother. Did you know that God wants to move in our life? We just ought to pray as if he's listening. Because our good, good father, he's on our side. And when we pray, things happen. When I pray, I believe something will happen every single time. Every time. Because I believe in a God that's so much greater than me and so much greater than anything I could face. If I had the time to tell you all the miracles that have happened just for this thing to happen this year, I would, but I don't have the time. What I am going to tell you is we're going to have close to 100 people on the prayer team. We have prayer lines. We're going to funnel the entire congregation through these prayer lines. If you're feeling any kind of anxiety about coming, that's demonic. 
cast it aside, show up. If you're having somebody invite you to a birthday, tell them to push it off to the next week or they'll have another one next year. Show up. What I'm telling you is in this desperation, if you knew that you knew that you knew that if you got someone to this place that Jesus would reach them, why wouldn't you give it everything you've got? Everybody. Preach it, brother. Everybody from your family to people that aren't saved, get them there because Jesus will do what only Jesus can do. I promise you that. We're doing this because we're banking on that fact. And you know that God, he shows up, man. Good news is he's here today too. Amen. Hallelujah. And so I'm going to preach as if he's listening because he is. And we're going to pray as if he's listening because he is. Because if you could see what I see, if only you guys could see what I see. If you could see the glory of the Lord shining down upon you and how much he loves you. Oh man, let me tell you, you would notify your face real fast. Because God is good. The good news is if you're new to this place and you think that I'm a total whack job, I won't be here next week. But I have to say this because between now and then, we are actually booked every weekend between now and this thing happening. We're actually going to Canada later this year. God is moving. God is moving. And because this is our home church, man, I'm asking you as our home church, show up. Please be there. Show up. There's a lot of people helping. I cannot thank you enough. But man, I cannot tell you enough that when the church shows up and they back up, please Show up. Work hard because we're giving everything we've got to give people to Jesus. And it only works when the church links arms together and shows up. Amen? So Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, August 25th through the 27th, 6.30 every night. And Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Be there. If you're not there, man, I'm coming for you. It's a free event. Okay, let's get past this. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you because you are God Almighty. You are the only one worthy of our praise. And Lord, whatever we are facing in this moment, we glorify you higher than whatever we're facing. We're not discounting that what we're going through is tough, but we're saying that you're bigger, you're better, and that we are in your hands. Lord, I pray right now, if there's anybody in this room struggling with self-hatred, that when they look in the mirror, they hate everything they see, I rebuke that in Jesus' name and command that self-hatred to lift off of them, that when they look in the mirror, they see exactly who you created them to be and that you love everything that you see. I rebuke every lie of the enemy in this place and we command in Jesus' name unity in this room and that we would align our perspectives with your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, you got your Bibles. Let's open up to Matthew chapter 4. I purposely asked them not to put this on the screen to force y'all to open your Bibles. So here we go. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. See, the good thing is with me coming in with just this one spot thing is that this is actually a series that I preached. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry, three things that happened. And I'm really going to scare some of you with what I'm about to say. Hang in there. It's not weird. It's not crazy. Just roll with me. So because we're in the middle of that series, 
I'm just going to catch you up to speed as to why this even came up to me, is that when Jesus lived up to the age of 30, 33, whatever it was, some people are guessing, whatever it was, and he began his ministry, the first thing he did was he got baptized by water, and he was the first person to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So when he got baptized with water, he went through the motions. Baptism is a sign of repentance. Jesus didn't need to repent. He hadn't committed any sins. But he was fulfilling the law so that he could show us that everything is possible in him and through him. And I want you to hear what I'm saying. This is extremely important that the moment he was baptized, brought back out of the water, he was the first to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where everyone's scared that I'm really going to go on this trail of speaking in tongues. If I had time, I would. I would. Because ignorance is the death of people. We've got to understand what the Bible teaches and not be afraid of it. When you figure out what the Bible teaches on these things, we begin to embrace all the things of God instead of fearing it. I'm stating it strong for a reason. Because time is short. we got to get with it. I'm not saying every person in this place is going to speak in tongues or that every person should. But what I'm saying is if you feel something in your heart that's afraid of it, I want to call that out. Because it's of the Lord. Why do we fear it? We ought not fear the things of God that are meant to be given to the body to bless the body. And I just want to clarify things here that when Jesus was filled with the Spirit, he didn't speak in tongues. Told you, you got nothing to be afraid here. And it is very possible to be baptized in the Spirit and not speak in tongues. Y'all hearing me on that? It is very possible to be full of the Spirit and not speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a gift from the Lord. Do not smash it. Do not bash it. Do not kick it to the side. It is a valuable gift from the Lord. With that being said, not everybody has every gift. Speaking in tongues doesn't make you more spiritual than the person next to you. However, you have gifts. I have gifts. They come together. We make the body of Christ. Amen? So... We embrace the things of God. We do not live in fear of the things of God. And when Jesus received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I believe the reason is this. He laid down his rights as God to become fully human. You're probably thinking, where in the world are you going with this? He laid down his rights as God to become fully human so that he could live out the rest of his life on earth as a person being led by the Spirit. The reason he did so is to be the person to lead the way to show us this is possible. Jesus chose to do everything fully human through the power of the Spirit. So every miracle he performed was through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what he was doing was saying, I'm beginning my ministry now. I'm going to show you guys how to do this. I'm going to live and walk according to the Spirit. And even though I am God, I'm only going to do everything I do through the power of the Spirit, through following the Holy Spirit. And it's very interesting to me that the very next thing that happens after this dramatic baptism and he comes out of the water and then he gets this dove, the Holy Spirit comes down as a dove and baptizes him in the Spirit. The very next thing that happens is this. Then Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him. 
Now, I just want to stop there for a second and just pose this question. Does anybody know how long a, a human being can go without food before the damage becomes irreparable or you just die? So we know that Jesus had water, but how long can you go without food before the damage is it's permanent? I looked it up, and it varies you know, to, to gender, to size, to weight, and all these things. But the average date is 46 days. If you don't eat food for 46 days, you'll either be dead or things begin to happen in your body where you begin to decay and your body will not recover. So you will live with ailments. So what I'm saying is, is that Jesus wasn't led there to fast for a week. How many people in here fasted one meal and whined and complained and grumbled? How many of us have gone for 24 hours? You know the 36-hour famines that we used to do as kids and youth group? How many of us have gone for a week? For 40 days, we have to grasp the importance of this because Jesus was led there for a reason. And at his weakest points, without food, how many people in here get grumpy and cranky when we don't eat? We don't have our coffee. Think about not having that for 40 days. How literally weak to the point of actually dying. You need to understand that it doesn't matter how big Jesus was. At this point in time, at the end of 40 days, he was a scrawny, tiny twig that was starving to death. He was weak in every way, and the devil for 40 days had come to him and began to tempt him. And Jesus had to daily say no, even though his body was growing weaker and weaker as the days went on. And the devil begins to tempt him, and I want to stop here and say this. I think everybody in this room would agree with me that it's not a sin to be tempted. Amen? We would all give that lip service that it's not a sin to be tempted. Well, I've, I think I agree with that. And I can back that up biblically in a lot of different ways. It's not a sin to be tempted. I mean, let's face the facts. It says right here, Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted. In other words, Jesus was tempted. So we have physical proof it's not a sin to be tempted. But here's the interesting thing about our society is that if... I began to confess to you things that I'd been tempted with, you would start to look at me different. If the person next to you looked at you, if it's your spouse or your friend, and they began to truly confess, yeah, I've been tempted with this and this and this lately. They haven't acted on it. They haven't committed the sin. They're not telling you they're gonna. They're just saying, yeah, I've been tempted. All of a sudden, your perspective of that person would change. It shouldn't. Because we just admitted that being tempted is not a sin. And that's because that you and I, without realizing it, we believe the lie that because I'm tempted, therefore I am. When you begin to believe the lie that because I'm tempted, therefore I am, we start to think falsely that temptation originates within us. When in reality, temptation originates from the tempter, not from within the human soul. So here's the problem. When you are tempted by whatever and you choose to give in to that temptation, it leads to addiction and then we really start to feel like it's a part of who we are and we have no control over it. And everything that Jesus is doing here is about to prove all of that wrong. He's about to take all of those things that we believe we have no power over those things in those situations through the power of the same Holy Spirit that lives in you and lives in me. 
He conquered something. If you don't believe me, let's, let's turn just for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll just read this to you. It'll be up on the screen. It says in chapter 10, verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and they were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example to us. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of days has come. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. For God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with this temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What's that saying is that you and I sometimes believe the lie that the temptation I'm facing is unique. I'm different than you. If you knew how hard this struggle was, it's unique to me. You don't know how strong this thing is and how much it's just in me. Man, it says right here that Jesus is not the tempter. And he also will not allow the tempter to tempt you beyond your ability to say no. So lie number one that we have to debunk is that when temptation comes, we have a choice. We have a choice. If this book is true, and it is, then what Jesus just said is that I will always make a way of escape for you. Regardless of how strong that temptation is, there will always be a way out. Secondly, if you flip with me to Hebrews chapter 4, this will also be up on the screen in verse 16, just in case you were curious whether Jesus actually faced all the temptations like we did, it says in verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. I guess I better rewind to verse 15. So it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. So there again, we understand that Jesus was tempted, backing up the fact that we all agreed on that being tempted is not a sin. Giving in to the temptation, that's the sin. So why, if I confess to you the things that I've been tempted with, would we treat each other as if we've already committed the crime? Let's be honest. If you confess the temptations that you've been faced with, I think people next to you would be shocked. They'd be shocked. You? Really? Gross. Get away from me. That, that went through your brain? Where you been? You've been bowling because your mind's in the gutter, boy. You know, I, you know I'm, I'm being silly, but the truth is it's very serious. Because that's the lie that keeps us from confessing from bringing things into the light. What if I told you that I was being tempted to look at pornography? Would you look at me any different? Would you say, I can't believe that pastor up there, he's struggling with the temptation of pornography. I didn't tell you I looked at any, but what if I told you I was being tempted to? What if I told you I was being tempted to cheat on my wife? What would that do to your perception of me? 
I haven't cheated on my wife. I'm not planning on it. But what if I told you that I was being tempted to have an affair? What if I told you that I was struggling with same-sex attraction and I was finding another man very attractive? What would that then do to your perception of me? And all of a sudden, you'd begin to look at me as if I committed all these sins because we believe the lie that because I'm tempted, therefore I am. Because I'm tempted, therefore I am. This is so important. Because when you meet somebody that does struggle with same-sex attraction, you have to understand and help bring them to a place of understanding that that is a temptation that can be overcome. It's not a part of who they are. This is the gospel truth. It is a temptation that can be overcome. It is not a part of who they are. People that struggle with anger and they, they... blow hands through walls and they hit people and they use their strength because they, and they, they talk about it like, well, I just have anger issues. Did you know that that's a temptation that can be overcome? I'm tempted to get angry. Well, overcome it then. Because you have a choice. You have a choice to not pick up the bottle and get drunk. You have the choice to not snuff the powder. You have the choice to turn off the computer and not look at things you ought not to look at. And I don't want to throw a bunch of heavy stuff in here. But what I'm saying is we've believed the lie that we don't have the choice. That because I'm tempted, therefore I am. I must always be a pornographer or a gay person or a drunkard or some kind of other thing that I can't think of right now. I must be because I always have these temptations. Man, you know what? Resist the devil and he will flee. Jesus went into the desert to be tempted to prove that temptation can be overcome. And when it says what we just read in Hebrews, that Jesus was tempted by all the same things that you and I were tempted by, then we lose the right to say, yeah, but times are different now. No, they're not. No, they're not. It's the same sin yesterday as it is today. Jesus was tempted and chose not to give in. The good news is he's the only one that's ever done that and kept a perfect track record because he knows that you and I can't. He knows that if he didn't overcome it and die on the cross for us, that we give in to temptation and be done for. So he paid the price. He overcame every sin, all of death, and said, I've conquered this for you, but now by the power of my spirit, I'm going to help you walk a new direction. The last place I want to turn you is this. Because it is important that we not rest in the place of saying, well, I've screwed up and that's okay. Because this is the Lord's command to us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you shall not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit that Jesus was walking by when he overcame temptation. Jesus did everything fully human by the power of the Holy Spirit as an example to us to say, this is how it's done. This is what's possible. I will provide a way out for you. You have a choice. You are not what you're being tempted by. Just because you're facing a temptation, just because you have an addiction, I'm going to pluck that from your life and restore who I created you to be. Amen?
you know what, I've done a lot of counseling, not nearly as much as Sue Brennan over here, and I bet that she's seen some incredible things in her office. But I can tell you that I have spent a great deal of time with pastors and pastors' kids talking about things that you would be shocked they struggle with. And they can't say anything because the moment they do, they'll be thrown out as, well, you've done the deed then. But I thought we just said, I thought we just said, it's not a sin to be tempted. So why do we treat it as though it is? Because the temptation does not originate within you. Temptation originates with the tempter. Hallelujah! So let's move on now. So Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. So for 40 days and 40 nights, the devil day in, day out was tempting Jesus. Every day his body was growing weaker, and yet Jesus stood his ground, continuously saying no to the enemy. And the tempter came to him and said, If you really are the Son of God, then command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Satan, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I love that. You see, I, I love the fact that Jesus wasn't just overcoming temptations from the enemy, but he did it while starving his stomach, the desires of his own stomach. Saying, man, I'm, I'm going all out. I'm leaving no stone unturned here. And as he looked at these rocks, some people believe that these rocks actually appeared to resemble loaves of bread because of the region that he was in. Either way, I got to tell you, if I hadn't eaten 40 days, rocks would look pretty good. <laughs> Beetles, spiders, snakes, man, all those things are looking pretty good right now. And so Satan comes and says, well, you got to eat or you're going to die. And Jesus says, but there's more I need to live on. There's more than just food that I need to live. And I need the words of God to live on. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and he said to him, well, if you really are the son of God, then throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands you will he will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, I wish I had pictures that I could put on the screen for you, but if you could see it doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter. Theologians debate where, where in the temple did the devil actually bring Jesus. It doesn't matter. What matters is that the devil took him to a high point of the temple, the pinnacle, and said, jump. Just jump. Because if you jump, I win. Because either you die and this whole cross thing gets pushed to the side or God saves you and all of these people are made aware that you're God before you're supposed to reveal it to them. So either way, I win. So Jesus, why don't you just jump? Because if God is really God, won't he catch you? And Jesus wisely responds, because if he had jumped, obviously the Lord would have saved him, but it would have been such a display with thousands of people around. They weren't alone because the temple was a busy place. All these people would have seen this guy jump off and then float and not die. And it would have attracted people to Jesus for all the wrong reasons. And Jesus says, hey, it's written, don't test your God. I know who my father is. I don't need to test him anymore. Man, that's a good word for somebody in this place. I know who God is. I don't need to test him anymore. 
I know who Jesus is. I don't have to test it anymore. I just follow and I fall in love, man. I don't have to test him anymore. He is God. And then the devil said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Because the devil had taken Jesus on the mountain and in a moment showed him all of the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, of all the temptations that Jesus was faced with, especially fast-forwarding to the Garden of Gethsemane, this would be the one, I would assume, was the most tempting for Jesus, if that's even possible. Because Jesus showed in the Garden of Gethsemane how much he was sweating blood going to the cross. How much he didn't want to do it because he knew what he would have to endure. And now the devil's offering him a way out saying, hey, all the kingdoms of the world I'll give to you. You don't have to go to the cross. We can all live in harmony. Evil, good, you and me, we'll we'll be good. We'll be brothers, man. All you got to do is bow to me. That's all you got to do, Jesus. And after not eating for 40 days, I can't imagine that that wasn't a little bit tempting for Jesus to say, to think, I don't want to go to the cross, but I have to. Because I love these people and I love my father more than I love my own life. And Jesus responds by saying, you know what, Satan? Despite what you're offering me, there's only one that I will worship. No deal. No deal. And then it says something very curious. It says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to Jesus. And in the the Gospel of Luke, it says that Satan left Jesus and watched from a distance until the next opportune time. So in other words, the temptations hadn't ended. They'd just been put on pause How many of us have struggled with some kind of temptation and then we feel that we've gained victory only to have a couple months later be overwhelmed with that temptation again and we fall back into it, whatever it is, because the devil will just take a break. He'll push off, he'll watch from a distance, he'll wait for your weakest moments and then he flies back in to attack you. That's how the devil works. If that's how the devil worked with Jesus, that's how he works with you and me. And I just got to tell you, the part of the problem is our failure to recognize that the only ground temptation has in our life is that which we choose to give it. The only ground that temptation has in our life is that which we choose to hand over to the enemy and say, here you go. You know, I brought something really childish. (laughs) This is going to be a lot of fun. You see, one of the problems with me and my wife will confess that this is true is that I think I'm hilarious. <laughs> I'm really not that funny, but I think I am. So I brought with me some super corny items to illustrate the point. This is going to be really corny. I'm just warning you. <laughs> but it's, but it's good. Hallelujah. Amen. The Lord can use corny illustrations too. So... <laughs> Here's here's the culmination of everything that I want to say, is that if if, I want you to just roll with me, okay? This is going to be really silly, but just roll with me. So let's pretend. Man, I love this. So let's pretend that all things that I'm going to pull out of this box represent the temptations of life. So instead of Martinelli's, 
let's just pretend that this is a bottle of wine that, or beer, whatever you want to crack open to, to satisfy the urge. This is actually vitamins, but let's just pretend that it's some kind of snuff or whatever that people want to abuse the pill or the drugs or whatever. And I brought, because I have kids, a parent magazine. Let's just, just roll with me. Let's pretend that this is a dirty magazine. So you, you start to look at these. These are just some of the temptations that are common to man. It's not all of them, but it's some of them. That when we begin to look at this and say, but Dean, you don't understand how powerful the temptation is. How can I possibly say no when it's part of who I am? Because it's been with me for as long as I can remember. How could I possibly overcome these things? I need to tell you something that's incredibly important. Incredibly important. That even though these things look attractive on the front, they look like they're going to help you, they're going to give you some kind of peace, they're going to make you feel better, whatever it may be that leads us into these temptations to actually give in to these temptations, whatever leads you there, I need to tell you, A, not only do you have a choice, B, if you've given in, there's redemption by the power of the cross. And C, when you're faced with temptation in the future, I'm about to give you the best piece of advice you will ever be given to overcome temptation in your life. Number one, understand that the temptation does not originate within you. It originates from the tempter. So this is no longer you versus this, this, or this. It's you versus the tempter. If you could see past the temptation, if you could see past all this junk and see the tempter, Darth Vader (laughs) represents the devil. I told you this was going to be corny but I don't have a bust of Satan in my house for some reason. This was the best I could do. If you could see past the temptations and see the tempter, you would understand something extremely important. That when I give in to temptation, I'm coming into alignment with the devil's will for my life. When I give in to temptation, I'm, I'm willingly coming into alignment with the devil's will for my life. And his desire is only one thing, to kill, steal, and destroy and see you completely defeated throughout your whole life. And every time we give into these temptations, we're coming into alignment with this guy's will for our lives. That's what's at stake. Do you understand that if Jesus had given in to any one of those temptations, that he would have forfeited his whole calling? Thank God we don't have to live by that same strictness, but that's how Jesus rolled. That if Jesus gave into any one of these things, it would have destroyed everything that he was called to do. Everything. So Jesus knew, the Holy Spirit knew, I'm going to lead you into temptation, Jesus, so that you can overcome it and fulfill everything I've called you to do because you will have the power over sin and death and all the powers of hell. And you know that Jesus did all of that by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's, it's crazy because I can see in my life the times that I've screwed up and I saw the damage that it did to my calling, the things that God had for me, to my, my friends, my family. I could see it. And the reason that I could see it was because 
I gave in and then I realized on the other end of these things is this guy. We have to live our life with that kind of weight. Understanding that when the temptation comes, it's war. This is war. See past the temptation, remove the mask, and see the tempter. And all of a sudden, you're going to have a little more strength in your soul, and you're going to go, I don't like that guy. Why in the world would I willingly come into alignment with his will for my life? Because all he wants is, is to see me defeated. All he wants is to see me defeated. You know, Jesus faced every temptation that you and I could face. Because that's what it says in Hebrews. He faced all temptations that were common to man. 1 Corinthians says that you and I are not unique. We face the same temptations that are common to man. And every single one of them, Jesus conquered. By the power of the same Holy Spirit that lives in you. And that same Holy Spirit that said, Jesus, I'm going to lead you into a place to defeat this guy in every corner of the world. So that you can fulfill what you were called to do. We have to live with the understanding that giving into temptation is coming to alignment with this guy's will for our life. No more. No more. When the temptations come, it's war, baby. Did you know by that same spirit that led Jesus through all of this is the same Holy Spirit that in Galatians 5.16 that we just read, it says, when you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the lust of the flesh. Now before I close this, I got to dump a little grace back on this. Because... I'm fully aware that we're standing in a room full of sinners and people like me that have given in to temptation. Because the good news is that God's power is at its best when he's redeeming and restoring anything that you and I or the devil try to destroy. And even though it will cause pain, the Lord... His ability to restore is greater than the devil's ability to destroy. Did you know that? Otherwise, you and I would be screwed. You see, this isn't about the list of do's and don'ts. This is about war. Because what would happen if I had an affair today? What would happen to this? What what would happen if I went and shot somebody in the head just for fun today? What would happen to this? What about the thousands of people that I've prayed for? What about all the people that have listened to my sermons and, and come to churches or come to these events? What would happen? We have to live with that reality that what's at stake, this is war. And when the temptations come, See past it to the tempter and declare war because that's what it is. The only ground that temptation has is that which we choose to give it. And if you believe the lie, if you believe the lie, as overwhelming as it might feel in the moment that you don't have a choice, then we need to read this book. 
Because it says and it declares the truth that the Holy Spirit that lives in you is the same Holy Spirit that lives in Jesus that always provides a way out. Always. 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 Every time. And you know what? When I'm tempted with things, I've learned now to declare war. Because I can see the tempter. And I want my life to come in alignment with my Father's will. And there's a lot at stake for everybody in this room. Thank God for grace when we fall, but I'm begging you to go to war instead of just allowing yourself to feel helpless. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. We're going southern in here. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? I just want to tell you what a privilege this has been. Thank you for allowing me to come and, and share this time with you guys today. This has been such a privilege, and I do not take this lightly. So, Lord... First and foremost, I pray that if there is anyone in this place offended, that you would remove that offense in Jesus' name. Lord, that if I said anything that wasn't you, that you would burn it up and only allow the things that were you to sink into our hearts and begin to shape the way that we live our lives. And Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, for those of us that are feeling any kind of guilt or shame because we showed up to church today knowing that this morning or last night we gave into a temptation, whatever it may have been, whether it was anger, whether it was malice or envy or sexual immorality, whatever it may have been. Lord, we lift that up to you in Jesus' name because that's where it belongs. And I ask that you would restore in our hearts the hope of glory in Jesus' name because you make all things new every time. Regardless of how many times we fall and mess it up, you still make all things new. So, Lord, today I pray that you would equip us to see past the temptations and see the tempter. And if any of us have given up ground to the tempter, I pray that you would take it back now in Jesus' name. For you bought our lives with a price. And our lives belong to you, not to the enemy. So, Lord, we take back that ground now in Jesus' name, and we rededicate it to you. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, pick us up, dust us off, and fill us with your love and grace. In Jesus' name. Lord, if there's anyone in this place that's feeling overwhelmed by temptation or their judgment has been clouded by recent temptations, we clear that off of them now in Jesus' name. Let us think soberly and let us be aggressive for your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.